May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Every family has a story. All of us do. Some of us are better uh, about sharing it and about talking about it than others. Some of us, uh, our story is painful, and so it sits in the background unaddressed, and we don't necessarily bring it up at the dinner table. But others of us have to talk about it all of the time. The story is part of our life, our shared life together. As we come together as a family, it's a story that has to be told. It begs to be told each and every time we gather together. And in thinking about my own family, uh, I have realized that over the years, um, at special holiday gatherings, one of our practices is to tell this story together. My grandmother um, has eight children, and so holidays uh, with my grandmother are big. She lives in a little house, and uh, we would be spread out uh, at the kitchen table and in the living room uh, and out in the yard, and uh, we would all try to stay there as long as possible before my grandmother forced us to come inside and to sit down in the living room and to be quiet for a little bit. And it would always come under the guise of some other responsibility or task. So on Thanksgiving, she would say, let's gather together in the living room and we're going to go around each person. No one can skip. And we're going to tell what we are thankful for. And so we would go around that room one by one and the cousins would glance into each other trying to figure out how we were going to get out of it. But eventually someone would begin to talk about how they were grateful for my grandmother and the decisions that she had made early on in their life that caused them to be the kind of family that they became. And so part of that story, uh, it's unique. My grandmother in her early 20s found herself to be a, a single woman with eight children. And there did not seem to be a future for her and for her family in the place where she had raised them. And my grandmother was a devout person of faith, and so she was trying to figure out, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to restart this? And she felt that she heard the voice of God telling her to relocate. Now, the story has been told to me probably a hundred times or more. And each time details change and shift and certain things are left out and other things are added in. But at one point, I remember the story being told to me that she gathered together her eight children in a car that probably only seated five people in the middle of the night and traveled from South Carolina to Florida to begin their new life. And when they arrived there, they basically had nothing. I don't know where they lived. I don't know how they survived those first weeks or months. I know that they found a church community. But even in that church community, this place where she found uh, some comfort and some peace, there still was uh, quiet whispers and judgmental eyes as they looked at a woman with eight children with no husband. And I remember the stories of how they survived on peanut butter and banana sandwiches and white bread with just a little bit of mayonnaise and spoonfuls of mustard sometimes when there was nothing else. 
This is a story that my family gets together and we talk about because it is an origin story. It made us into who we are today. And as the story has been told, there is a divine element to it. My grandmother believes she heard the voice of God telling her to get up and to relocate. And so she followed that calling and that voice. And in our family, it sounds totally normal when she says that. And yet, if we were to tell someone outside of our family, well, they might see it a different way. And so it's important for us to have people that gather around us people who are family by birth or people who we have chosen to be family, who can hear us, who can believe us, support us, and celebrate with us when we begin to discern new callings, things that God is doing in our lives as individuals or as families or as corporate bodies. It's important for us, and that's why it's important for us to have a church home so that the people sitting beside you know your story and become part of it and support you in the things that you are doing. The hero of the story that we've read in the gospel today for me is Elizabeth. I love the way that she responds to Mary because she, at this time, there is no indication that we know that Elizabeth knows that Mary is pregnant. Elizabeth comes into the house and she greets Mary And Elizabeth, the baby inside of her, who would grow up to be John the Baptist, literally leaps before she gives any news, before she tells any part of the story. The baby responds. And then Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims how blessed she is to receive this news and this story. I wonder how many people Mary had already told I wonder how many people sat off in the corner after hearing the story, silently judging and whispering what they actually thought about what was going on in Mary's life. I wonder if Mary even knew anyone that she could trust to tell this story to, who she even thought might believe her for an instant because the the story that she was about to tell, the story that she was living was fantastic. It was something that no one else had ever experienced before. How would anyone believe her? And yet Elizabeth's posture is the posture that you and I should take on too with the people we are in community with. We need to be people that can hear others' story. We need to be people who can believe the story that we are being given by our friends and our family. We need to be people who can support and celebrate with people, even when things are going on in their life that we don't understand. And I have to wonder if maybe Elizabeth was predisposed to belief in this situation because she also was living out a divine calling. Her husband, Zacharias, had also had an angelic, a a heavenly messenger who had come to him and told him that they were going to have a baby and that this baby would be the one who had been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, the one who would be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see, when we are with people who are living out similar things to us, it predisposes them to belief. It helps them to relate. There are things that we say and do 
within the context of this church that when we say it to people outside of here, they just don't understand. And that's okay. It's not their family story. But it is ours. So Elizabeth responds with support and celebration. And she shows us a model of what we can be when friends come to us. But the second half of this passage, Mary's response. There's almost nothing else like it in the scripture. And what I really love about it is Mary is is turning to Elizabeth and she is responding to what Elizabeth has said to her. But something else seems to be happening. I used to love the show called Boston Legal. Did anyone ever watch that? I, I loved it because sometimes the characters in the middle of the story would turn away from whoever they were talking to and they would break the fourth wall and they would address the audience. And all of a sudden, you were in the courtroom with them. All of a sudden, you were in the law office with them. All of a sudden, you were part of the story. You were being welcomed in. You weren't just a passive observer. You were a participant in this story. And so Mary, as she begins to respond to Elizabeth, it is as though she pivots and turns to us and all of the generations that came after this conversation And she begins to tell us what this Messiah will be like. This Messiah that had been promised, this Messiah that people had waited for, this this Messiah that people had waited and anticipated for so long, and they had ideas and expectations for who this Messiah would be. And then Mary tells us the truth that the one that she is bearing will be one who scatters the proud, who brings down the powerful, who lifts up the lowly, the one who will fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away, the one who is the promise, the promise given by God to their ancestors, the fulfillment of that promise. This is the kind of Messiah that is being sent into the world. Sometimes this part is uncomfortable for us. As a 21st century American audience, we read this or we hear this and we wonder if we might be the rich or the proud or the ones that need to be sent away. And what's interesting is a couple of weeks ago, we read a passage that is a little down the road when John the Baptist is full grown and people are coming to the riverside to be baptized and they are asking what they should do to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And John tells them this, stop taking advantage of your neighbor. Stop extorting people. Stop threatening people with violence to take away more than what is owed to you. Be satisfied with your wages. What John says a few chapters later is an echo of what Mary says about the Messiah before he is even born. And the truth is, is that Mary here is not talking about you, a person with a savings account or retirement or a pension Mary is not talking about the destruction of the middle class, but Mary is talking about a rebalancing of the scales of the world, of our society, where some have so much 
and they have made that off the backs of others. Where others are living in, in despair and poverty simply because a select few have so much that no one else can possibly pull themselves up by the bootstraps. This is the kind of Messiah that's coming into the world to not, uh, to not destroy you as a, a 21st century American, but to invite you into the participation of, of rebalancing these scales. This Messiah is not what anyone expected. They were expecting a king. They were expecting an emperor. They were expecting someone who was rich and powerful. They weren't expecting a little baby. I feel like I've said this to you like 15 times since I have been here, but it is important for us not to forget. When the Messiah came into the world, we use this, this terminology in our formation class this morning. It upset the pyramid. It turned over everyone's expectation. It showed them a vision of what the world could be if God was the ruler of the world and not the kings and monarchs of the day. It gave them a story that challenged the status quo and the picture of what they thought was the only way that things could be. And what is really fantastic is that there was no scribe sitting in this house with Elizabeth and Mary as they had this conversation. There was no one writing it down. And this gospel was not penned until 80 or 110 AD, which means almost a century passed before this story was ever written down. Which tells me this. This was a story that they got together at holidays and gatherings with their friends and family and they told over and over and over again. The story that we have encountered today is not just a prophecy, it's a family story. It's a family story of those who had waited for the Messiah. It's a family story of the family that birthed the Messiah into the world. And it's our family story as we are now participants in that story too, Mary this morning has turned to us and told us what kind of Messiah will come. And we are almost there in just a few days. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. In just a couple of days, the Messiah will be born and he will not be like anyone expected. But we will know in advance and we will know how to recognize him. And we are called to exist and participate in the world to be like this Messiah. And so this Christmas, our calling is to join the Messiah in scattering the proud, in bringing down the powerful, in lifting up the lowly, in filling the hungry with good things, in sending away those who have been rich off the backs of others. This is our Christmas calling. May we join this kind of Messiah in the ministry to the world. Amen.